Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope to Hear This podcast. And this conversation with Jessica Wang is really a response to the murder of Ahmad Arbery and what we feel like the Asian American response to racism and discrimination should be. And bear in mind that Jess and I aren't experts on the topic, and we're just really open and transparent on this podcast. So we're hoping that you can be as open hearted and open minded when listening as well. Ultimately, I think our hope is that Asian Americans would have more conversation about our place in the race tensions of America. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope you guys enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope to Hear This podcast, and we have returning guest, uh, returning guest, uh, Miss Jessica Wang. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, so th- today's episode is actually... Um, I'm really glad it's happening because um, Jessica actually reached out after listening to the episode with Chuni regarding kind of the conversation around COVID-19. But I think um, the relevant piece of conversation that I think we're going to focus on today is kind of everything around the Ahmad Arbery case, mm-hmm. um, kind of the, I mean, the implied racism and even with like as an Asian American, like how do we respond to it and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah, um, yeah, Jessica, if, if you did, you kind of want to take it away. Do you do you want to talk about like sure. what kind of prompted you to want to talk about this topic? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, when I was listening to your conversation with Junie, um, yeah, I just was really glad that you guys were having that conversation first off. Um, and then it also in like your description, how you wrote, like, you know, this was, um, pre finding out all the news on, um, Ahmaud Arbery's death or murder. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I just was like, wow, like that's, that's really crazy because I just feel like it was the unfolding of, you know, what our voice as Asian Americans, where, where, where do we stand like in all of it? Right. Um, and yeah, so that's the reason why I reached out. Um, it just made me think a lot about, uh, my personal work that I've done, uh, as an educator, um, because I have, or I was in a residency program, um, that focused a lot on equity in education and a lot of that work like starts with yourself, you know, and understanding your own personal biases and understanding, um, you know, maybe even your own identity, which is something that I am still in the process of, you know, like understanding the Asian American identity and voice. So, yeah. So you, you mentioned you are an educator, but I, I'm assuming your studies or kind of your interest in that topic is very relevant because of the demographic of students that you teach, right? Yeah. um, So I went to Georgia State and a major proponent of the education program there is for urban education um, and social justice education. And so um, the residency program um, that I was a part of, uh, it's not like through Georgia State, but it's partnered with it. And um, and so it focuses a lot on uh, just, yeah, social justice and equity in education. Yeah. So, yes. so, so when you when you first heard about 
because this is the uh, again this is the first time i'm actually talking about the murder on the podcast because mm-hmm. it was just good timing because when chuni and i talked about how should asian americans respond to um injustices toward other minorities we had well i personally had no idea that the ahmad arbery case was going on yeah i don't think chuni knew either but um yeah so when, when you first heard of it kind of what was your first reaction as a minority to that um definitely just a lot of grievance towards you know him and his family um because the biggest thing that like i'm just it's disturbing because it's so close to us because we're here in georgia you know first off and then also in the midst of a pandemic when you know like humanity should really be bonding together and should be in solidarity with one another i mean i know that it happened in february but it's just like another reminder that these things are still occurring and that these things are still happening, you yeah. know? Um, I feel like within the past, yeah, within the past, like, I don't know, five, even more years, um, but the whole rise with, like, Black Lives Matter movement um, and, you know, once that kind of became a thing, like, it was really popular and prevalent on social media, but then, like, as with all other movements and things, you know, like, eventually the the novelty of it so to speak like kind of dies down unfortunately right right um but i thought like you know here here's another black life that was lost and so um and so like just being able to see um so many people posting about it i thought that was a really good thing you know because we're bringing light to another issue you know that that is has always been there but, um, but, you know, like, it's been something that I feel like as, like, the followers that I have on Instagram, like, all of my close friends, right, mm-hmm. or the community that's around me, like, the Asian American community, like, it was something that everybody was really posting. And I was just, it was really interesting yeah. um, to see that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, and for me, when I first heard about it, I actually just saw an article on it. I hadn't seen the video yet. I saw the article, and it kind of seemed... I mean, it's, it's sad to say this, but it almost seemed routine, like, oh, another black person got shot, right? But the thing that shook me to action to even, like, talk about it and like, mention it to friends is the video. Because the video is mm-hmm. really, like, you, I don't know of any other case where um, there was a video of the actual murder happening, right? Mm-hmm. So there was, so... like, a, yeah. Oh, no, no, go ahead. No, so for me, it was just like a, a visceral reaction to the video that kind of shook me into action. Yeah, I actually did not watch the video because mm-hmm. I saw everybody else's reaction to it. And I was like, I don't think I can handle watching yeah, that. It's... Like, um, but just even the fact that like everybody was just that shaken up by it, you know, mm-hmm. like, like that's enough for me to know like how tragic and that it it was and yeah. yeah i think i definitely think that too though that like um because that has been a really common response mm-hmm. to the um the video um so yeah yeah and it, and you kind of mentioned how the people that you're following on social media your your asian american friends they've been posting about it and talking about it a lot and 
I've seen that as well. Do you feel like it's it might actually be one of the first times where Asian Americans are being very vocal about it? Because I like with all the other cases in the past with like Trayvon Martin um, and all those other incidences, I've mm-hmm. seen a few friends like talk about it here and there, but I haven't seen this sort of unity um, where almost everyone I know is talking about it. Right. Do you do you get the same sense? I do. And I've just I've been really thinking about that these past couple of days because it's like I'm wondering why that is, too. Um, And maybe it's because like everybody is just on social media all the time now because of the current circumstances, like nothing else to do. Or maybe it's because, you know, like over the course of the past few years, I feel like that the. Um, Asian American voice has become a lot stronger um, mm. and we have recognized that we do actually have space and we do actually have a voice that can be heard you know so yeah I don't I don't know why I think that'd be really interesting to like ask each person yeah. Um, but yeah I definitely noticed that too yeah and I, yeah. I wonder if it has anything to do because this is kind of what Juni and I talked about as well, but I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that Asian Americans on a very mass scale have been facing prejudice and discrimination because of COVID-19. Yeah. I, um, I wonder, yeah. I wonder if it's a case of like we've kind of gone through a little bit of it, so now we can sympathize more or I don't know. Well, I think maybe like that that's definitely a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um but just like thinking about what you're saying right now, like we have faced obviously not the same kind of prejudice and violence, you know, um that black and brown lives have faced. Mm-hmm. Uh but I mean I I really liked when Junie, um, I forgot what exactly, like word from word what he said, but just basically like the whole idea of like comparing suffering, you mm. know, like if we, we shouldn't be comparing suffering or oppression um, because the whole, the thing is, is that like we are in a system of racial oppression, right? And um, if we continue to compare, you know, who's facing what and like who has it worse so to speak you know like it's it's not it's still not getting to the root issue mm-hmm. of uh of systemic racism yeah um but yeah like that i just paused when you said that because it just made me think about like i feel like asian people still ha- have faced you know discrimination microaggressions even violence you know um prior to COVID-19. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, it definitely has been something that's been prevalent within the news, you know, as of late. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So then can you talk a little bit about the, the residency that you um, were a part of and kind of what different insights you have to the situation because you have the advantage of having gone through that education? 
yeah um so it was called uh create um the create teacher residency program um shout out to create (laughs) they're gonna listen to this (laughs) but um uh yeah i mean just to put it in a couple of sentences um it was a residency program to help with teacher retention rates um within urban education through um through the lens of equity um because uh like statistically um there's a higher uh what is it called like a turnover rate of teachers in urban education settings um Mm. because there are so many so many like issues that are at play um and so the work that i did within that residency program um it wasn't necessarily like, oh, you do X, Y, and Z, you know, in the classroom. There was, definitely was a, a lot of that, but I feel like um, the majority of the work really centered around you as an individual um, and being able to um, practice self-compassion for yourself in order to be compassionate with other people. Um, and a lot of that also is interwoven into equity because like where is your heart when you are really engaging in work with other people with other students of different backgrounds of different races you know of different beliefs and things like that so um it definitely helped me so much to finally have the language to um the language to speak about all of these things that I have faced my whole entire life, you know? Mm. Um, and yeah, I think it's definitely shaped the way that I process and, uh, just analyze these different situations because had I not been educated on this prior, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. can you, by using, what your react what you think your reaction would have been prior to create um can you kind of compare how you would have looked at this situation um like prior to create and uh post create yeah um i think a really big realization for me was um through the work that i've done um and through different like resources and things like I feel like a really big shift that occurred for me was my definition of racism Mm. Um, I used to think that like racism was basically when somebody was prejudiced against another person you know and um another person of a different race or a background um but it really has shifted to that yes that is racism but it's all within the systems of power um Hmm. yeah because i actually wrote some notes because i wanted to make sure that i didn't mess this up (laughs) but uh, that the definition of racism um yeah it's it's not just when people of different races are 
prejudiced against each other, but it's the idea that there is one race that is superior over others, which is enforcing these systems of power and oppression Mm. um, towards minority groups. And so when you really think about the systems at place, right, especially in the context of the history of America, um, it's keeping the ones that have been in power, aka white men, still in power. And through the history of this country, right, of the colonization over Native Americans or the indigenous people and um, the enslavement of African people and that were brought over here and just like the decades of African Americans um, fighting for basic civil rights, human rights, um, like we're still in the remnants of all of that, all of the oppression that that existed in the past and doesn't look the same way, obviously, but it still exists and oppression still exists. So that, um, that is like the biggest thing. And I guess that is definitely something that I wanted to bring up, um, in this conversation, just Mm -hmm. because I feel like once you understand it at a systemic level, it then shifts things for you because because it's very easy to feel like overwhelmed and um, lost in like, what can I do, you know, as like a single individual? Um, and I think prior to, you know, like my learning and my experiences, like I would oftentimes feel like that. And I would just be like, if only people would just be like more loving towards each other and just be kinder to one another, you know, and all that stuff. But, and again, that is true. And that is like, that is something that is to be valid or valued. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I think what is more powerful is when you're able to, um, work, uh, work to change the actual system mm. because then that that is actually bringing a lot more action um that is giving more i guess opportunities or just more justice to mm-hmm. to other people so yeah. yeah yeah you know that's interesting that you kind of added that um or you mentioned that the way that racism is uh, defined how you talk about it's like systems of power um kind of viewing one race superior to another and i was thinking about that as you were talking i like i don't see blatant displays of that very much unless it's like some crazy kkk person saying oh white people are better but when i really think about it i think i do see kind of nuanced and subtler versions of that um one one of the ways that i can think about that is I forget the kid's name, Brock. You know the guy who like raped the girl behind a bar and like a like behind a dumpster, but he got a few months mm-hmm. and a slap on the wrist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget his name, Brock something. But I don't remember his name either. Yeah, but, but anyways, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. And the judge said he can, like, he should only get a few months because there's so much potential in his life, right? Like he has such a bright future. Um, so uh, I think white you know, white, he's a white guy. And that's kind of the lens that the world views him in. But when it's a black person 
relatively young, I mean, very young black guy running down the street jogging, mm-hmm. his value that the world views him with isn't as high, right? So mm-hmm. it's not the blatant, uh, the Aryan blood is superior to all else, that kind of um, superiority thing. But I think there is still remnants of that in the form of, you know, this kid has potential. This kid probably doesn't have potential. They're kind of the yeah. almost subconscious ways that some people might view um, people yeah. of color. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I meant by like, it's like the remnants of that still existing because mm-hmm. we are still within the same exact institution and the same exact system that that was established like when America was first created. Right. Um, and yeah, and so I feel like uh, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> no, okay. But it's just because I, okay, I'm going to be very honest and transparent. Like yeah. I was really nervous to talk about this because mm. it is so touchy, right? And I'm not one to be like very vocal and like I'm not a social justice warrior either. Like I'm not an expert. Like I'm going to fumble through my words um, because it's just, it's really difficult to talk about um, because I'm not even white. And like, I feel uncomfortable saying like, yeah, white supremacy exists and is at play, Mm. you know, like I know it, but like to actually verbalize it, like it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think the reason why I wanted to, or, or I did reach out was because I just really felt like this was important. Mm. Um, yeah. Especially like, um, with all the work that I have done, you know, and, um, and just me, uh, really understanding and accepting, you know, um, my own identity as an Asian American, like, like I just, it just felt right, and it just felt important to talk about this. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I, I think that, that's that's also another interesting point that you bring up because I think we do, as Asian Americans, we do tend to be kind of nervous about and very hesitant about this topic, um, especially because it it seems like such a black and white issue, right? Like, I don't mean that it's clear cut. I mean it's it's like black people versus white people and i think asian americans kind of feel out of place in the conversation but mm-hmm. no I, I think it's it's important to have and you know i'm, I'm going to be very honest and transparent too it's i like when when these things happen i don't immediately side with the victim side like um with, with the case with ahmad uh, arbery I actually waited a little bit to for the facts to come out before I felt comfortable kind of talking about it. Um, but I, I was thinking about that the other day because is that do you think that's part of the problem? Like, am I part of the problem in like not wanting to go to the side of the oppressed immediately? Or is that the wise thing to do? This is a really hard question. Yeah, and no, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you're asking that mm. um, because I think that those are really um, important questions to ask yourself. Um, and I don't have the answer for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, because there can be so many layers as to why you did, like, or, like, how you process things, like, maybe you're more of, like, a, like, a logical person rather than, like, emotions-based person, or maybe it does have to do with, like, your previous experiences as a minority and things like that, right, Mm -hmm. but I think, um, I definitely feel the same way that like I feel like there is a hesitation before we as Asian American people decide to speak I don't know if that's a cultural thing or not Hmm. um but I do hope that you know we would we would be able to see the bigger picture and like coming back to that definition of racism of like the fact that we are living with in a society that um that values certain people over others right and so when you take that into account it's like it doesn't matter if he was doing something like that he wasn't supposed to be right like with the Mm -hmm. whole footage of him being on the the vacant home or whatever like that that does not deserve the penalty of his life being taken away yeah if a if a white person did that like the worst thing that would happen is like that they would get arrested, right? But the fact that like somebody or the those people in that neighborhood were like chasing him down, you know, like were watching him and chasing him down, and then that led to the consequence of him losing his life, that's absurd. Mm-hmm. Like that, you know, like I just it's so it's so disproportionate in the ways that um things would play out if if it was a different person or a different race you know so yeah um but yeah I mean I've definitely had friends that have you know also kind of shared that same um line of processing all this information but um yeah I just I think that is a lot um of self-work to be done um and you know like to dig deeper uh with yourself in that too yeah and so one of the ways that i went about processing this is i actually have a friend in law enforcement and they so i mean but it's I, i felt okay to talk about this even more because it seems like a unanimous decision even people on the law enforcement side they're like yeah, those guys, they what they should have done is called the police. If they suspected that uh, Ahmad Arbery was doing something wrong, they should have called the police instead of chasing them down with like, guns. And so that's yeah, kind of a hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's like a unanimous thing. But um, like just because of the way that I process things, I like looked into. I started looking into the law, like what rights do citizens have in terms of like um, citizens arrest laws and things like that. But like one thing that, um, one conclusion that I came to is everybody is given the right of due process when they've committed a crime. Like you're mm-hmm. um, innocent until proven guilty, right? And mm-hmm. the burden of proof is on the state, meaning that the state needs to prove that you've committed a crime in front of a jury of your peers. So the fact that e- e- even if Ahmad Arbery did s- steal ton of stuff and he you know, i don't know like he, whatever crime he might have committed even if he did commit a crime 
I mean, it doesn't look mm-hmm. like he did. Um, but mm-hmm. like, let's say worst case scenario, he did commit a crime. He was robbed of his due process um, because of overly zealous people that yeah. um, should have definitely called the police. So, um, yeah. yeah, so I've, I'm, beca- I'm beginning to realize and see more from the side of, um, you know, the bad people in, in these kind of cases, right? But I think there is something to say with the fact that, like, it took me this long to actually get to that place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like... It, it, that it took me like watching a video of a guy actually getting murdered like i mean the video isn't it's not like gory or bloody or anything it's just the fact that you can clearly see like the mm-hmm. struggle of him fighting for his life yeah. and then trying to run away and collapsing and like you know like oh my gosh that's when he like lost his life yeah it's sad to say that that's what shook me into like wanting to learn more about this and becoming more vocal about it but mm-hmm. um i mean i i think at the end of the day it's better late than never is kind of what i'm telling myself to comfort myself um <laughs> but uh yeah I, I think um i definitely am hoping that through these conversations that we're having that asian americans would be more vocal about it yeah and so i, I wanted to ask you what should the response of like for you personally obviously Mm -hmm. you don't have the the answers but uh, what would you say is the appropriate response of the asian american community to this murder um i mean I think the first response is just to see that like like a, another life was lost, right? Mm. And to have compassion for their family. Um like that's the very first thing that comes to my mind. Mm. Um it's not about the facts. It's not about picking a side, but like the grievance of another life that was lost Mm. and sadly another another data point you know to the fact that like so many black and brown lives are facing violence and are killed basically every day um so i think it's just really having that compassion um towards other people and realizing like I think like the way that you were processing it, like, um, yeah, I think that is the right response, you know, to dig deeper and to question like your own intentions and like your own thoughts and your own belief systems. Hmm. Um, because the way that people will respond in times of crisis is all different. Um, but I think when you are responding from a place of compassion and of uh, of love, you know, like that's it can be anything, and it would be it would be good. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like everybody has different platforms. Like whether you're 
you have like a bunch of followers like thousands of followers on social media or something or you know if you have the capacity to donate um to the to the cause or like Mm. or just like even just talking about it with your own community and your own group of friends you know to be able to really unpack um what happened you know like i think all of those things are are maybe they're small steps but maybe they're big steps too in um in being able to recognize the strength of your own voice yeah yeah i think that's really good having conversations uh, and i think even more so than ever before posting it on social media i think is very helpful because I mean, I, I heard about the case through social media. It wasn't through the news. Mm-hmm. It was first social media. And I only saw it on the news once it kind of started blowing up on social media. Yeah. So I think that's one way to get a lot of awareness out there. And having conversations like this, like the conversation that we're having now, um, I think it's really helpful to... Because I'm, I'm processing a lot of things while we're talking about it, like here. Yeah, you know? for sure. Uh, so I think that's really good too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I feel like the conversation of even understanding like our own identities as Asian Americans is not nearly as, like, it. it's not talked about enough um, mm. in a way for us to be able to understand, um, yeah, like the strength of the voice that we have. I mean, like, we all obviously share things um and values um within our culture right um like going out to go eat at whatever really good korean restaurant you know like those are things that we do share but like to actually discuss like the nitty gritties of like oh you know like somebody at work today said this really strange comment to me and it made me feel uncomfortable you know like we don't at least i feel like those those conversations aren't really um had Mm. um and so i think that's that is also a really big reason why um maybe there's been like a delay in under or in a delay in having um our presence um because we ourselves aren't talking about it right yeah yeah like we definitely know it's there but like the follow-up of it you know like it's not there yeah i I think that conversation is a really super important conversation to have too and and so kind of along those lines i'm gonna ask kind of a controversial question um Mm -hmm. and i i don't suspect that either of us will have a question or either of us will have an answer to this but what would you say to asian americans that feel like they can't support the black community because they're not being supported by the black community. So what I mean by that is there are, I mean, a a fair bit of the incidences of racism that are happening to uh, Asians during COVID-19, especially the really like highly like publicized and shown on media is mm-hmm. is usually like i want to say at least half of it is perpetrated by black people like black people toward asian americans right so it almost feels like 
we're having for some people it might feel like why would we support people who don't support us right so do you have any thoughts for people kind of thinking those thoughts um yeah because I definitely understand what you're saying um I think I hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out answer Mm -hmm. But, like, I have to go back to the same definition of racism that I was using before. Mm. Because the effects of this system of racial oppression has existed before any of us were even born. And that influences all of these other systems too you know of like education of the economic system and and like you know whether or not i mean i'm just gonna (laughs) i'm just like fumbling through my words again but like a lot of the times like the people that are saying those things against asian americans are usually people that have not had like a higher level of education Mm. um so to speak right and um you know, at the at the root of all of those offenses uh, that were given, it's because they are either one fearful or two ignorant or both. Mm. Um, so I think to it's hard because it's like it, yes, it does feel like a personal attack because it's like against your own people. But then also, like, you have to see the bigger picture. You have to choose to see the bigger picture mm-hmm. in all of it because um, otherwise it's just going to perpetuate this system of racial oppression and pitting against, pitting people of color against one another. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't I, know if that, yeah. No, I don't think that was a cop-out answer at all. I think um, I definitely do agree with you that the bigger picture does need to be looked at. Um, because what we're viewing and experiencing is such a small sliver of the total history. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just a really complicated history between Asian Americans and black people in America. Um, and like, I wouldn't be comfortable saying, oh, like, you guys need to love this group first. Like black people needs to support Asian people first before we can support them. Like, I don't think it's as simple as that. I think it's a decision made by individuals that mm-hmm. uh, need to kind of snowball into entire communities and entire people groups to yeah really affect change. And I think it really I think it starts with us. Like because of, we're the ones having this conversation, I think we should choose to support them first, e- even if it's like what we perceive as first. Even if yeah. we're thinking that oh they haven't supported us, why do we support them? I don't think that's the question that we need to be asking. I think the question that we need to ask is, how can we make life better for all people here in America? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's it's as simple as we, we just gotta we just gotta love first. And especially as Christians, um, I mean, you mm-hmm. and I are Christians, I'm not assuming all the listeners are, but um, one of the biggest commandments that we receive from Jesus is to love your neighbors as yourself. And mm-hmm. I would really love it if everyone you know, supported Asian Americans and uh, didn't discriminate against us. So that means that I need to love everyone else and not discriminate against anyone else, right? So, yeah. 
I think, um, yeah, that that really, I think it's not an easy thing to enact, especially if you are in a place of, well, why do I have to do it first? But I think that is the answer. I think that is mm-hmm. the way that we make things better for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. if you if you want that if you want that change, then you have to be the change first. Yeah. 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 And I I want to ask uh, I want to bring up another thing. Um, mm-hmm. Now that we've talked about kind of Christianity, uh, a big figure in Christianity, uh, Pastor Louis Giglio, um, in at Passion. Um, Junie actually sent me this, but mm-hmm. uh, he posted about Ahmad Arbery, but he kind of mm-hmm. did it in a very vague way of kind of just, oh, like, seek justice. I think he just posted a Bible verse along with, like, a graphic of, uh, like, run yeah. with mod. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a comment by someone saying, like, what, like, what, what do we do about this? Like, what are you actually mm-hmm. saying? Justice toward what? Like, what are some calls to actions to actually, right. like, figure this out? So do you feel like the Christian community's response to this has been lacking, especially from, like, white churches or maybe even, you know, Asian American churches? Yeah. Um, it's just so, there's so many different layers to it. <laughs> I mean, like... I think when it comes to the predominantly white churches, um, which are the majority of like the mega churches here in Atlanta, right? Mm. Um, Like it's taken me my whole college career and after up to now. So like, what is that? Four, five, six, six, seven years, you know, to be able to come to a point where like, I'm even just fumbling through talking about race and racism and these systems of oppression. Mm. But like, it, it really has to start with the person themselves first. And there was, um, this one documentary that I watched, um, on like one workshop that I was doing. And, um, the way that they uh, described the definition of racism um, made me feel really uncomfortable. But also, I was like, that is so crazy because it's 100% true. Mm-hmm. But it was that basically um, minority people, people of color, cannot actually be racist because we are the ones that are the oppressed group. The people that are racist are white people. Hmm. Whether they are overtly racist or not, like just because of the way that the system is set up, like they are racist um, because they are benefiting from the this whole this whole system hmm. and this whole belief that that um, white people are better and. I think when it comes to all of these uh, white churches, um, there's so many things that are uncomfortable because that requires you to dismantle your whole entire belief system, first off, about yourself. Mm. And, um, And then also marrying that with this whole with our belief in like the kingdom, right? Um, but the kingdom of God is for all people and to to completely um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Just like to completely push out the idea that like, oh no, it doesn't matter what race you are. Like it doesn't matter what background you come from. Like that is completely missing the whole point Mm. that it's for all people, Mm. you know, because it's really through all of our differences and how God created us in our unique stories in the skin that we're in. Right. Mm -hmm. I think like it it ha- that has to be a part of the story too. And I'm not going to speak for passion or you know like for all white churches, but that's just my personal opinion. Mm. Um I think there is there are a lot of churches that are moving in the right direction, but then there's a lot that aren't even looking at the issue mm. and they have a whole board of elders and leaders that are all white. And then it's just like, okay, so what does that mean? You know? So that's, that's one layer, right? Um, And then when it comes to the Asian American church, or I don't even know if like the, an Asian American church exists because a lot of the times it's usually like the, our, our parents generation that came and like Mm -hmm. then you know there's usually an attachment of an english ministry or something like the only asian american church that i can think of is like four points uh, but i don't really know anything about their ministry but um but when you think about the um i guess the the value of the Asian American church, a lot of that has to do with, um, yes, it has to do with our faith and, and everything, but I feel like a lot more of that has to do with like our community. Um, and so opening up this whole other layer of like, oh, it's not just, it's not just us, you know? Um, I think that that's a whole other conversation to be had because a lot of the times like like that is our quote unquote place of sanctuary from having to put up these walls of like of getting through through the day and like in this very white world that we live in or mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that makes sense if I'm wording it correctly um, no because you're, but... you're basically talking about like in the Asian American church it's almost as if um, there are better things to talk about, right? Like we, we don't want to muddy our place of safe haven with talks of things that are kind of outside, almost like quote unquote outside of our concerns, right? Because like we need to take care of ourselves first. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Uh, more, more or less, yeah. Mm. That's, um, yeah, because I feel like that's the reason why I... Like for for my personal journey, you know, of these past few years and my faith and really trying to find a church to attend, um, I grew up going to KCPC, and um, and then once I graduated college, I was just like, okay, you know, I want to be in a church that is more multicultural, like yada, yada, yada. Right. But every time I went to one of like these churches and most of the time they were like mega churches, um, I couldn't help but feel like a longing for my Asian American community because I, that's when you can just like be actually yourself, Mm. you know, like at, 
at school, I, I felt like I always had to present myself in a certain way uh, or I always had to be ready to defend myself. At work, same thing. Um, even just like going to public places, same thing, because I'm seen as an Asian female. Um, and so the only place that I could actually feel like comfortable just being myself, not having to worry about that, is at an Asian American church. Mm. And so... Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, yeah, I'm just rambling on now, but basically what you said, (laughs) that like, like that's, that's, that's your place of sanctuary. That's your safe haven. And, um, and usually those conversations aren't things that are first brought up. Mm. Um, but again, you know, like you have to ask why not? Um, yeah. Cause yeah, that's actually exactly my next question why not right like what can we be doing different as a asian american well i'm gonna say korean church because that's what i know as a korean church um because i'm a part of the english ministry of a korean church as as the english ministry of a korean church with mostly second generation korean americans or asian americans why what can we be doing to encourage these types of conversations because it seems like it's a siloed event right it's happening to a people group that is not our own right it's it's happening to it's happening to the black community it's not happening to us so it's not like first priority but i would argue that any oppression anywhere is a uh, risk and um what's the word i'm looking for is and f- it's a I'll just say risk. It's it's a risk to anyone else, right? Any other minority mm-hmm. group, right? Because if there's oppression that exists toward a particular minority group, that means there's a chance that it can it can be oppression. It can lead to oppression toward a different minority group, right? So it definitely mm-hmm. is something that we need to be concerned about. I think personally, yeah, as as Asian Americans, but. I mean, do you have any thoughts on what we can be doing to encourage our peers to have more of these conversations and be comfortable having these conversations? Yeah. Um, it just makes me think about like, like in the hierarchy of Korean churches, right? Like the, the, most of the leaders are very, um, or not very, uh, most of the leaders are are immigrant parents, right? right. And so they first have a generation. certain set of yes, first generation. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a certain set of values and things that they feel are important, you know, for the church community. Um, but it really conflicts, I guess, sometimes with our Americanness mm. and also in just being present in what's actually going on in America right now Mm. um and so I think it's it's difficult because it's like our our parents generation our first generation um they I mean we should focus on like you know helping to educate them and all that stuff mm. and helping them to realize like, like this is what's going on and whatever, you know, and like, but I don't, 
I don't know if you've ever had like conversations with your parents about like race and and um and these kinds of conversations but uh it's it's very difficult um i remember when i was um in high school my uh my mom was kind of saying something very uh stereotypical of um black people Hmm. and i just was like i was at the dinner table with her and i was like you know what you're saying right now is really racist right and she's like no, 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 like, like, that's not what I'm saying, like, you just don't get it, like, da, da, da. Yeah. and just going on about that, and I was like, no, the fact that you think that of this single individual, you know, is being racist, and, and, uh, anyways, that's yeah. a whole story in itself, but, like, anyways, what I'm trying to say is that, like, to change their minds, and to change their values, and everything, like, like they should, yes, they should, everybody should always be working on themselves. But I think what we should be focusing on is really our voice as second generation, mm. um, as the children of immigrants. Yeah. Um, because I feel like the voice that we have or the potential for what we have um, for the future generations to come, you know, after us um we hold so much power because our space is so unique because mm. what we how we choose to uh, integrate our asian and americanness i feel like is what will really pave the path for us to be more of a presence in responding mm. um to these different issues um yeah, I don't know if I just went off tangent. <laughs> no, no, that's 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 very relevant. It's funny you you say that it's awkward to talk to your parents about race issues because the first conversation, the first race related conversation I had with my parents was actually before we moved mm-hmm. to America. So I was like kindergarten. I was a kindergartner, and the, I remember is my parents are basically saying, "Hey, when we go to America, so we actually moved to LA first, straight from Korea, we went mm-hmm. to LA, and this was." just a few years after the LA riots. So my parents said, you, know, you gotta be careful of black people because they don't like us. And and it was because the Korean people and black mm. people were literally killing each other in the streets, right? Right. So they, they were in their minds, from their perspective, literally teaching me and my brother survival skills. Like these type of people you have to avoid or you have to be careful of because mm-hmm. they don't like you and they might wanna kill you. Um, and I think it, it is difficult for our parents, our first generation um, Asian Americans, especially Korean Americans, I think, because um, like I was talking about, there's such a you know long history there. And their first yeah. impression of black Americans was the L.A. riots. Right. Even if right. like they didn't move to L.A., um, if you were living in Korea at the time that that happened, it was big news. You know, Koreans were mm-hmm. saying, yeah, uh, like the Korean community is being attacked in America. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it's really complicated there. But I think the immediate thing that we can do as second generation Asian-Americans is to work on our voice, is to really figure yeah. out, you know, how we can speak up for these injustices and oppress- oppressions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like our parents like it's not it's not anything to like point fingers towards them because yeah. like really they are we're we're operating within like a survivalist 
mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the, I don't think the word is like being passive, you know, in these conversations, but just like not, not talking about these things, like I think has trickled down to our generation mm. because we don't see the importance of it per se. Um, and so for us to, but then but then because of the rise of like social media and things, right? Like I think that's where we have kind of gained more information. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think now it's kind of like trying to understand like how do I take in all of this and like what does that mean to me and what does this mean about me, right? Um, because we never had those important conversations with our parents. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think we are all really trying to figure out what our voice is and how we should be, you know, wielding our voices pretty much mm-hmm. in, in these, yeah. in these situations. Um, a- any other thoughts about the topic? Anything that we didn't get to talk about? Um, I just, for anybody that is listening, um, that is Asian American, um, you know, I think everybody is on their own journey in understanding the power and the strength of your identity and like all the all the things that make you you. Um, and personally, for me, it took me such a long time to realize that I actually had a, a place at the table, um, and I actually had a voice that was worth being heard. Um, and I'm so thankful that like, like through my experience, um, as an educator, like I have been able to do so much work within myself to get to a point and to have experiences of talking to people of different backgrounds. Um, and like when I finally decided to speak up, it changed things tremendously for myself and for other people. Hmm. Um, because so many of the times their responses would just be like, I had no idea that you were going through that or like that, like that's what it was like for you growing up. Mm. Um, and, you know, I always like preface it by saying like, you know, this is only my experience. Cause like, I don't want to generalize for everybody, but, right. um, but it shifts things. And I think once we recognize the, um, the power of our own voice and really hone in onto that, um it's it's only all for the better like of course we're gonna mess up we're gonna fumble through it like how I did this whole entire podcast (laughs) um but it's important nonetheless because you're you're growing and you're progressing towards something um greater so yeah. yeah for sure yeah I think really um what we've kind of come to the conclusion of on this podcast is the need for more dialogue, the need for more mm-hmm. vocalizing, vocalization of our thoughts and opinions. Um, and yeah, choosing to support other minorities, even if we don't, you know, see that same support or perceive the same support. So yeah, I think um, as Asian Americans, I'm assuming most of my listeners are Asian Americans. Um, I think what we should be doing is, um, yeah, 
be more vocal about our thoughts. Um, when we see injustices happening, I think our response should be bold and loud. I don't, I don't think it should be soft and whimpered. I don't think it should just be like, oh, yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and that's it. I think um, <laughs> we should try to be uh, vocal, just suggested like with um, wanting to have this conversation, um, which I really appreciate, by the way. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting because, like, even in our own ways, like, I feel like the way that I approached you is also very Asian. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, the first things that I said was like, hey, I usually don't, like, do this. And, right, just, like, really beating around the bush. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, I completely agree. Like, just, you should put yourself out there. And maybe being bold looks different for you, though. Mm. But nonetheless, like, like, put yourself out there. Yes. Um, yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, and and just a disclaimer. I, I know we talked about Pastor Louis. I personally really like Pastor Louis Giglio. I, I don't think um, he did anything wrong per se. I, I I'm for sure know that he's not a racist or anything like that. So I, I'm I'm just hoping that no one got that impression. Um, I, I I just think that there was an opportunity for him to be you know loud and, and more vocal about the situation. Um, but that didn't happen. But that, that is to say, I still love the guy. He's great. I mean, Passion City Church has blessed me uh, a ton, especially mm-hmm. these days because yeah. I'm getting to see their live streams. Because um, yeah. I, I, I see, I watch like three services on Sunday now um, because, you know, I'm like, <laughs> every, everything is online now. So you get to see all your friends' churches and all that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, yeah, I just no- need to throw that in there. Yeah, no church is perfect, mm-hmm. and no person is perfect, and the only thing that we can do is just to be open-minded, you know, and yeah, and really take those opportunities um, and those questions, because it's when you decide to ignore those things and just remain silent that that's really doing more harm mm-hmm. than good. For sure, for sure. So in in spirit of that, guys, if if there's anyone else out there who wants to have this kind of conversation on the podcast or not, um, please feel free to reach out at ihthtpodcast at gmail.com. That's I hope they hear this abbreviated podcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at I hope they hear this. That's actually where Jess um, reached out to say she wanted to talk about (laughs) this or on Twitter at ihthtpodcast. And so, yeah, if you have any thoughts, um, if you have any feedback, if any of this resonated with you, if you have any questions for me or Jess, um, please feel free to reach out uh, via those uh, medium. And we would uh, would love to continue having this dialogue because um, for sure this dialogue is far from being over. Um, I think we need to keep having these conversations. I think we need to keep, um, yeah, trying to be trying to raise our voices um in support of other minorities when we see you know atrocious murders like uh, what happened to Ahmad Arbery so yeah. yeah thank you guys so much for listening Jess thank you so much for being on this was a very fruitful conversation um I hope so and yeah I apologize if nothing or <laughs> if I said anything that didn't make any sense or <laughs> Again, I'm not an expert. Um, I'm not a professor of race theory or anything. So I'm just a person trying to figure it out too. <laughs> no, I, th- I thought it was great. I thought you were very coherent. 
you're being harder on yourself than you <laughs> <used to be. laughs> well guys thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time bye